later on today's episode. So now I don't know um, if there's still like a, but don't be you. You know what I mean? Or if there is a, this just I means feel like it's like a live come anywhere. On, you can come on. And, yeah, you can. You can live anywhere. You can go anywhere. You can vote. But don't do too much of that Aboriginal stuff. That's what so, I took it to me. So the cultural piece, there is, but mm-hmm. you, you know how it is. I, that is a piece that we will fight to the end of time. That okay, yeah. That's, that's, that's what we true. still fight to this day. I get, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you know what I'm true. saying? There, there's that's never true. an acknowledgement of that. I think the Crown Act is probably the closest thing we have to acknowledgement mm. of our culture when it comes to an mm. act. Everything else is relative to our skin color. Mm. You can't say black people can't work here. You can't say black people can't live here. Mm. You can't. It's never about black people can't you know, play their music or have hip hop or have R&B or be a part of these art communities or design clothes this way or talk this way or, you know what I'm saying? Black people can express A, B, E and you can't discriminate against them for a job. You know, that that's never what's acknowledged. It's always Hello, this is Patrice. Thank you for clicking on this episode. Here at the Melanated Intellects podcast, we talk about everything from Black mental health and personal growth to Black world history. And my name is Shayla. Here you will find a balance between topics everyone is talking about and topics no one is talking about. Either way, we guarantee we will be bringing our distinct intellectual perspective. Hey, hey, hey. Thank you so much for clicking on this episode. We're back uh, with another episode in season four of Melanated Intellects. Um, So this one is kind of a promise, uh, really, that we made in season three. If you have not heard um, our Black History Month series, any of any of them, to be honest, our Black History Month is usually our most listened to episodes. Um, and we'll focus on something different every February. So anyway, last year, last season was um, Black History Month in different continents, excluding North America, um, Africa, and, and Antarctica. Um, so that means we did Australia, we did Europe, we did Asia, and we did South America. So if you didn't know, the Black history in Australia is quite vast. Um, and all of the places were quite vast and really more than we could really touch on in a one hour episode. Mm-hmm. But I think Australia really surprised us. And um, we said we will circle back around. So this is our promise to you to circle back around on that. So this is an It's Not Black History Month um, Australia. So if you haven't heard that episode, you definitely want to make sure you go back and listen to the episode because there was a lot of good information. I think that episode kind of set some foundational groundwork things in regards to the black history in Australia. I'm going to touch a little bit on it here so we can kind of get back into the, you know, into the mindset of Australia and the time frame that we're speaking about when it comes to their black history. Um, but I highly recommend going back and listening to um, the episode. Patrice, mm-hmm. you look like you got something you want to add before I continue. No, you're good. Okay. Um, okay. So let's just real 
off the top, let's talk about the term Aboriginal. I broke it down more in the original episode. So again, go back and listen to that episode. Um, But it just essentially means original people. And in this particular case, there's evidence that the Aboriginal people of Australia are from Africa, but they came from Africa so long ago, we believe, or it is believed that it predates written history, essentially. So that's where the term Aboriginal comes from. They are definitely people of color. And I mentioned in that episode, particularly in Australia, I'm not trying to claim, you know, Aboriginal everywhere, right? But particularly in Australia, they do identify as Black. And we will go through a little bit of the history and and where that identification kind of came from. Also, um, they don't have a good relationship with police. And they um, stood in solidarity with Black Lives Matter here in the U.S. uh, when Black Lives Matter reached this uh, really international stage um, in about or so 2020. And um, yeah, there's just a lot to be said. They do have a Black History Month. It's not in the same month as ours, but they do have a Black History Month. And again, I talked about a lot of that in the original episode, so please go back and listen to it. But I just kind of want to set that groundwork so you know what we're talking about. Um, There are several events and parts of history that we spoke about in the original episode and we referenced a timeline and article. So this is this episode is going to be about that same timeline article called Racism No Way. And the link will be in the description if you want to do more. Because even what we covered today uh, will not fully touch on the full history. So that's just how vast and deep the history is. Um, I, I don't even know how many episodes it would take us to go through all of it, but we just wanted to be able to circle back around and highlight some more things. So I'm going to start in 1926 because when I went back and listened to our previous episode, we hadn't quite gotten there yet. And um, hopefully we can bring us up more closer to, to current day as we go through the history here. Um, okay, so 1926, that's where we're going to start. Aboriginal people were killed. Following the killing of a European, um, excuse me, following the killing of a European in Dala, I believe that's how it's pronounced, Western Australia, 11 Aboriginal people are murdered in police custody. No prosecution follows. This is in 1926. Um, So there are a lot of parallels, as you see, as we go through the history here, there's a lot of parallels to uh, the U.S. uh, racism and Australian racism. There's just a lot of parallels. Uh, Patrice, I know you wanted to expand upon 1926 and kind of what this meant for Australian history. Yeah, I wanted to understand more about that massacre. Um, And so I started to dive into it and true Patrice nature and went down a bit of a rabbit hole. There's actually quite a bit to this massacre that... um, it feels almost infamous, if you will. Um, one of the articles talks about how um, so much history, Aboriginal history in Australia is among people who witnessed it or those who were descendants of people who witnessed it. And so there's like a collective effort to try to gather more information about it, those who witnessed and so on and so forth. Some people don't even like to still talk about it to this day. So depending on what side of the fence you are, I guess, um, as far as when that happened. So it's something that they're still gathering information about. So the number kind of fluctuates as far as the 11 being killed. But this 
the way that I, what I've found thus far that sparked these tensions, I guess it was already tensions that was rose in this location. It's the, um, I kept seeing Nola Nola station, but I also kept seeing a reference of the forest river. So I don't know if Nola Nola station stood for, um, maybe the police station or what have you. I don't have, I wasn't able to find the context of exactly this was like an area, a region or what have you. So, um, I'm sure those who are more familiar with the story will have more understanding of this context, but, um, this region already had pretty high tension in the area. And, um, essentially one of the, and he's referred to as a couple of different titles here. Um, I want to say in the actual timeline, as you read, he was considered, uh, a, a European Indala. And another article, I want to say he was referenced as the man who was murdered. Um, he's a co-owner of Nola Nola Station. So anyway, um, you know, he is basically murdered by an Aboriginal man na- named Lumbia, Lumbia for the rape of his wife, Angelo. So this owner of this region or what have you raped this Aboriginal man's wife. So the man came back and killed him. And as a result, the police, they have names in here. It looks like police constables, Graham St. Jack and Dennis Regan. They led a posse of 13 police and local white people to find Hayes killer. And in doing so, they conveniently loaded up with an arsenal of Winchester rifles, 500 to 600 rounds of ammunition, 42 horses and shotguns. What confused me was all the horses because there's only 13 police. I have a lot of questions, but moving on. And they shot up and just attacked this area and killed uh, men, women, and children at Forest River. It was later identified in their initial report that 30 Aboriginal people were missing. And based off this police inquiry, then it was found that 16 people had been killed and their remains were burned. But it sounds like, you know, a subsequent royal commission into the killings confirmed that at least 11 Aboriginal people had been killed and their remains were built, were burned in three purpose-built stone ovens. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, the two officers that led the attacks were charged with the murder case, but the case never went to trial. There was a lot of um, what they have considered conspiracy of silence in one of the articles, and that witnesses were vanishing. Um, those who had evidence weren't were also vanishing. Evidence was coming up missing. So everything that was essentially going to tie them to the murder and carry out the case was pretty much hidden or sabotaged. Mm-hmm. And the court, the case never went to trial. Now, Lumbia, the man who killed um, this man. Um, the uh, European. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. the European man. He was tried, of course, mm-hmm. um, for the uh, for the murder, for that murder. So there are, this is kind of where one of the articles kind of talks into the spirit of silence when it comes to a lot of the massacres that took place in Australia and a lot of the different ways that there were cover-ups and conspiracies to keep 
the killings, not only going without interference because they're not huge public knowledge, but also to keep criminal um, criminals being brought to justice as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that definitely gives more context. Um, so more. some of these <laughs> we'll dive a little deeper into. Um, some of these we won't, but they might be important for what happens later. So we're just going to go, you know, down uh, the timeline here and kind of list some some dates that are important. Uh, but yeah, that that definitely provides context that I didn't previously, you know, no. have. Um, OK, so moving on to 1927. So this is one year after this original massacre. And can I just say, if you dive deep into the history, there's a lot of massacres. Um, there are a lot of murders and just violence against the Aboriginal people. Um, but anyway, 1927, federal law for family endowment excludes Aboriginal people and instead payments go to Aborigines Protection Board. Aboriginal people are denied maternity allowance and old age pension. Aboriginal people are banned from central Perth until 1948. That's like 1948 is like not that long ago, right? Mm -hmm. um, relatively speaking. Um, so they were banned from a whole area and then um, maternity allowance, which isn't something we get over here in the U.S., um, but they had at that time and then pension, you know, like retirement is what I took that to mean. And they were denied that. And that's a long time, 1927 all the way. That's, that's just a long time. That's someone's whole adult working years, like. And relatively not that long ago, like I think, um, yeah, my grandmother was born and I have two, two grandmothers born in completely different decades, but one was born in 44, right? So really not, mm -hmm. you know, relatively that long ago. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so moving on here, 1920, and Patrice, interrupt me if you have something to add to any of these. Um, 1928, this is just one, one year later, we have another massacre. I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, so I apologize in advance, but Queenston Massacre, Northern Territory, settlers and police admit to shooting over 30 Aboriginal people after a white dingo trapper is killed. I don't fully know what that is. I think dingoes are dogs or uh, wool, wool, some sort of wild mm -hmm. dog-like animal. Um, following the massacre, an injury is held into the conditions of Aboriginal people in the Northern Territory. Commonwealth government introduces a quota system for the number of immigrants from Southern and Eastern Europe. So this is quotas for Europeans. Patrice, anything you want to add there? No, I was trying to track the wars that were going on at that time. Because I know later in like the 40s, you have like the World War starting to happen. I want to say in the 20s, World War One was taking place. And I think that's coinciding with that. That's why there were um, more immigrants, but also a restricted, I should say, actually, um, number of immigrants that were allowed because there was a lot of um, asylum seeking immigrants mm -hmm. probably around that time too yeah you're talking about european immigrants mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and they dive yeah. deeper into into that um in regards to and that's a piece i was trying to put together so i'm gonna give it to you all the way it's here and give it to me i was trying to find a little more context around the european quotas and i don't know that i fully got that but um we'll go through the timeline here and hopefully we can connect the dots 
Something I did want to add though too is when Australia was founded, um, so 1901, it is important to note that Aboriginal people were denied citizenship. So oftentimes immigrants are considered Aboriginal people when we're saying this. So um, it, it, they denied citizenship to Aboriginal people, Asians, you know, it was quite a few people, different groups of people, but it's important to identify that, you know, with this rights were stripped. So although these folks were here first, they were basically told you're still not included in what's considered a citizen of this country. And so as a result, when we're saying immigrant, that's what we're referring to as well. Yes. That's good to know. Yeah. I did go over that in the first episode, but you're right. I should have brought that back around so no that's a um, okay. good point to mention um okay so moving on to 1930 um now this is during the depression and this particular piece says 1930 to 1939 so i think this lasted for some years but during the depression there's an increased hostility towards southern european workers some queensland union um succeed in restricting employment for non-british workers in cane fields entry of non-british europeans is banned unless they are wealthy or have relatives living in australia so i think that kind of piggybacks off of exactly Mm -hmm. what you just said um i take that to mean uh entry of non-british as in not anyone not white uh Mm -hmm. that's what i take that to mean and it's interesting to me because it feels like it's like a baby step how they go about it. Like, we're going to take this. You can't vote. Then we're going to take this. Oh, you can't, you know, um, go into this area. Then we're going to take the. You know what I mean? It just, it's more and more and more that's taken versus mm-hmm. all of it at once. I agree. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, and it's, then, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And it's funny because I feel like it's the reverse here. We started with none, um, and then we received it baby step. Like you can, you can, you can work, but you can't work over here. You can't live in this neighborhood, um, you know. Or you can vote, but we're gonna make it incredibly difficult. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you still can't live over here. <laughs> so um, it was like we received this little by little, whereas they were losing it little by little. Yeah, that's a good point in comparison to make. And I also think, you know, um, and I don't remember the years, but I, I think I went over it in the first episode. Um, you know, Aboriginal people were there a very long time, thousands, I'm going to say thousands of years before. So really, you know, um, the Europeans that came into this area and decided we're going to wipe out, because we talked about this in the first episode, wipe out culture, wipe out, right? We're going to undo. They had some work to do. They had a lot of heavy work on their hands if they was going to undo everything that had been done. So I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing this is why it's like, you know, this thing and then that thing and then that thing. Because these people are already there, living a life, well-established, been there Mm -hmm. for a long time before these individuals came and decided, oh, no, scratch that. Um, We're going to do it our way. And really, I mean, that's what the, that's what colonization is, but, um, I don't know, yeah. you know, yeah. so, um, okay. So moving on to 1934 under the Aborigines act, Aboriginal people can apply to cease being Aboriginal and have access to the same rights as whites. <laughs> 
Oh, okay. Oh, I, I, I was going to turn it over to you. Once I... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Were you okay. done? That, that, no, no it's, it's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, it's okay. Um, no, there's a lot to unpack mm, with that. There's a lot to unpack mm-hmm, with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to apply. Okay, let me reread it. Okay, Aboriginal people can apply to cease being Aboriginal and have access to the same rights as whites. So what I took this to mean, which this is interesting. Okay, I don't know. You're right. My brain is also doing the same thing because first off, you can see I'm Aboriginal the same way you can see I'm Black. Um, Second of all, it almost feels like we talked about this in, um, uh, we did a bonus episode around Queen Njenga. Mm-hmm. And um, if you watch the series African Queens, it's on Netflix, it's a documentary, then you saw how, uh, I believe it was the Catholic Church, that came in and essentially wanted her people to denounce their current religion yeah. and take on that religion, right? So this feels similar to me on like, I want you to unclaim your heritage, right? And for a lot of people of color, and I don't I don't pretend to know the religious background of Aboriginal people, my research hadn't has not gotten that deep. However, that means a lot, right? Just like if someone was to ask me or you to like no longer claim your blackness, who you are, where you come from, where your people come from, your traditions, your practices, and, and for many of us, particularly um, from Africa, our ancestral roots is a, a key part of who we are and our identity. And then for you to apply or, or ask me to take that off. And then if I do, you're now going to give me access to things that other people who look like me can't. That's just, that's a mind trip to me. Yeah. And so I, this, I dug so hard to understand vividly in great detail what this meant. Like, does this mean I cannot pray in an all Aboriginal church? Does this mean I can't eat Aboriginal food? Does this mean I can't dance up to Aboriginal beats? Like, what does this mean? And, you, you know, to your point, though, the only thing I could find, which was like a separate timeline about history of Aboriginals' rights after Federation, where it, you know, it, Elaborate similar to what you just said, you know, Aboriginal people can apply to be non-Aboriginal to have access to the same right as whites. Aboriginal people can apply to cease being abnormal, Aboriginal under the Aborigines Act. And that's what I kept trying to research, the Aborigines Act. Um, But then it says the Aboriginals are allowed to have their rights if they sign over their Aboriginal culture over to the whites. This is still, obviously, still very unfair because... They should be allowed to live their culture and their ways of life. But I was like, what does that mean? Sign over your culture to whites? What does that mean they use it? Like, what does, what does that mean? I need to understand that I have so many questions about what this meant. Does this mean I walk around with papers saying, hey, you got to treat me like you treat your homies? Like, what does that mean? I would assume so. Yeah, I would assume you would have to have documentation that says you but can I mean, like, do things you couldn't do previously. But to your point, at face value... I'm sure this is rare. That doesn't necessarily mean that on site, I'm going to be originally treated that way. Right. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Right. I'm still going to be initial. Like it's going to be instinct to deny me entry. Mm, That's true. You know what I'm saying? So then I guess you pull out your papers and you say, if they let you, you know what I'm saying? Got a face full of dirt first. I, I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like we're talking about racism here. It can be very violent. So I would imagine in some spaces, stepping foot isn't even safe. 
fair. That's, I mean, that's a very fair and very reasonable concern. Um, yeah, I don't know how that actually worked. And again, this racism, no way, it's just a timeline, right? So I right, don't, yeah. you know, so for those of us wondering, um, you know, we'll definitely put, you know, all the details in the description, but, you know, I don't, we may not have the details to go deeper um, because, you know, this timeline is the basis, at least for this episode, the other episodes we had. Um, I ain't gonna let that one rest. I'm gonna keep digging too because that's and, just, it, and not... we may have to circle around again to Australia. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm yeah, I mean, more. yeah, you know, where they <laughs> did they have a car? Was it something they wore on them, like a pin or something that you could see visibly? Where, I mean, I don't know because I don't think like this. But I'm just thinking, you, you as the Europeans, you want people to sign over their culture to you, right? So. Not, to, I mean, I mean, well, nobody gonna stop them from being racist, obviously, but mm-hmm. it has to be a benefit. Like, I can't sign over my culture and then still be treated like everybody else, or else it wouldn't have worked. You know what I mean? So something, something had to happen in order for it to be appealing for people to want to sign their culture over and denounce their Aboriginal heritage. So I don't know if that was a pen. I don't know if that was papers. But to me, if if it got too out of hand where the, the pen or the papers or the whatever the whatever you was wearing wasn't working, then it would have been short-lived. Right? I think I don't it know. depends on the world you're facing. You know what I'm saying? Like, we were thrilled that we could vote. Even though we were still dealing with segregation, Jim Crow, not living, you know what I'm saying, not equitable housing. You know what I'm okay, saying? So, fair. like, I think it depends on on what the perception of that was at that time. Um, I would imagine if that were, if somebody were to drop that act in the U S whoever did sign up for it would be considered a traitor. You know what I'm saying? It would, it would incredibly divide the community. Right. So, um, yeah, I want to dive into that. There's gotta be a book or something on it. Like I need to know more. It is, I will say, and not that I pretend to be a historian or like I know the history of of the Black diaspora, right? But we learn a lot preparing for Mm -hmm. this episode. And I've read a lot of stories of colonization and racism across the world. And this is the first time I've seen people apply to like erase who they are in that way. That's unique. Uh, I'm not applauding it by any means, but it's it's unique. I haven't seen that elsewhere done in that way, so that is a little jarring to me. I feel um, like so. How can I say this? I feel like it it doesn't necessarily mean that it can it hasn't happened without application. I think there's a separate mind, something that happens in the mind when your culture is taken versus when I'm going to make you fill out a form to give it to me. It just feels like a mind trip in a different kind of way, right? So a lot of people's cultures were taken, right? You know, taken Mm -hmm. or manipulated in some way, right? Including ours. Mm -hmm. But it just, but for you to be like, fill this out and give me your, that's just I don't know something something about what that does to the psyche 
in having to feel like one, you even need to sign, sign it over. And two, mm-hmm. what this means for your life once you sign it over feels to me like you, like they were attempting for a different um, impact with just, just taking it, like just, Mm -hmm. just taking, you know, just tearing down churches and just taking, um, artifacts and just take, you know, that's, that's been done. I got, they wanted to do something different here. I don't know. I, so is it weird that I equate it to, and, and let me, uh, let me press, let me say this. Anyone who is at the point of signing over their rights voluntarily or in any capacity, before I say this, I believe has been traumatized either indirectly by something they've seen happen to a loved one or to themselves directly. And I would argue that it is very possible there is a corner of the diaspora that has subscribed to, if you can't beat them, join them mindset. It's almost a survival instinct. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would argue that it does exist in a lot of places, even without application. Oh, I see what you mean. Even without. That's what I mean when I say that. Like, I I won't wear my hair or I'm going to conform in this way voluntarily and almost hate anything that reminds me of my culture to align and be more accepted or to fit. Cause I feel like this is going to get me further in life. This is going to, you know what I'm saying? That is what that reminds me of. Now I will say the, the American approach to that is obviously going to be drastically different from this act being introduced in 1930 during this time of these original people who are, you know, slowly getting their rights back. Like, you know, crumbs, you know, um, very different mindset. That is where my brain takes me um, when I hear that. Because I know, again, if something like that were to be dropped into the U.S., it would be incredibly divided, just like the Black Panther Party versus um, Martin Luther King, you know, or, you know, the way Christians protested and did sit-ins versus the Black Panther Party walking around with guns, you know? So very different approach. I can see it dividing. Um, But I do definitely think that there is a point in the diaspora across many cultures, many continents, where sometimes there is a, if you can't beat them, join them mindset too. I agree. Yeah, Yeah. I completely agree. I think that's a fair um, takeaway. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we're moving on to 1936. Commonwealth government agrees to permit entry to Jewish refugees who are guaranteed by relatives or friends not to cost the state. Western Australia Aborigines Act is amended to permit Aboriginal people to be taken into custody without trial or appeal and to prevent them from entering prescribed towns without a permit. Mm -hmm. My question is, did we just hit reverse? How you figure? So when we say that the Western Australia Aboriginal Act is amended to permit Aboriginal people to be taken into custody without trial or appeal, 
to keep them from entering towns. Oh, I see what you mean. That feels like something was taken away. Like previously, they yeah. could be taken to trial. I just took it to mean it became an act. Like we we we've been not allowing you to go to trial. We, we've been doing what we want to do. Um, but that's the act saying that you can apply to be treated like the white folks. So this Aborigines Act did a lot of things. Okay. Yeah, this okay. Aborigines Act did a lot of things. I got the okay. impression it's been amended several times. Like I'm not gonna go as far as to saying mm. is there a Bill of Rights because I don't I don't know that in comparison gotcha. to American government. But like yeah, it's been amended a lot and a lot of different things have been added or taken away to it over the Gotcha. Year, and that makes sense because there are more and more people immigrating to Australia. So there are adjustments needed, especially at this time, because it looks like in nineteen thirty six we're about to go into the second world war too. Mm-hmm. Well, so that makes mm-hmm. sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just want us to take note um, mm-hmm. of the right being taken away and they're not being permitted. Um, okay, so moving on. Um, okay, 1937, one year after assimilation. First Commonwealth and State Conference on Native Welfare adopts assimilation as the national policy. In practice, assimilation policies led to the destruction of Aboriginal identity and culture, justification of dispossessions, I don't know if I'm saying that right, and the removal of Aboriginal children. At the same time, um, segregation practices continue until 1960s. I thought that was interesting that it was until 1960s because, side note, um, the year before last, we did 100 years of Black history and we kind of, I don't want to say compared, but we um, mentioned several things with happening within the Black diaspora at the same time. Oftentimes that was the U.S. and Africa, but not exclusively. And anyway, in the 60s was just a serious time of change for people of the Black diaspora. Rather, they were in the U.S., in Africa, or someplace else in the world. So anyway. So that continued until 1960s with separate sections in theaters, hospitals with separate wards, hotels, refusing drinks in schools. All this sounds should sound very familiar for American mm-hmm. history that can refuse enrollment to Aboriginal children. Um, massacre of Aboriginal people occur. This is a, a new or another uh, massacre with over 200 killed. Um, that's in 1937. So I feel like that was a point to mention because this is this is big because now we're talking about assimilate. So first it was like those who want to apply, apply, right? Mm-hmm. And now it's like forget all the applications. We we just put in the law that assimilation is required. Yeah. And you know. Also, we're taking your children. Um, and removal of ab- oh. Aboriginal children. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're right. Now, we talked about we did. the lost children in the first episode. Okay. So, there's a we lot did. of deep history on lost children, what that means. Um, and many of the lost children are still alive today. Like it wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, children were taken and pretty much turned into child labor, or slavery. Um, and we did touch more on that in the last episode. But anything else you want to add about the children? Not necessarily about the children, because I think that one was unique. The U.S. didn't do that. Well, 
Not in the U.S. I well, say. well, <laughs> right, yeah, not in the way. Uh, in the yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah I, get, I get you. A little relation, but no. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I do now. I also have the question of I wonder if there are learnings coming from the U.S. because of the time frame. Mm. You know what? That is a really good point to make. Okay, so what year did I say that was? Nineteen thirty-seven. Because Hitler learned segregation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm thinking about what else is happening in the world. Mm -hmm. Um. Okay. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Because segregation, Mm -hmm. uh, refusing drinks, schools got to be separate. Yeah. Interesting. You know what? I had not considered that. That's possible. Mm -hmm. Very possible. Yeah, because it's around the time maybe Hitler was the only one taking notes. Fair. You know? Yeah, fair, because he admitted that. Yeah, he admitted he did. That. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. Oh, did you have more to add? Nope, that's all. Okay, 1935 to 1945, World War II. So, World War II begins, although Aboriginal people, this should also seem familiar what I'm about to say aboriginal people are not recognized as citizens two aboriginal military units are established and some aboriginal people serve in other sections of armed forces aboriginal people serve in europe the middle east the pacific and new guinea social policy legislation to support families during war years applies to aboriginal people who can meet strict eligibility criteria as a result many aboriginal people leave reserves to seek employment and improved living conditions thousands of nationals of enemy countries particularly italians are entered excuse me interned across the country as enemy aliens during the war so i say so this is interesting should- so interesting because this should sound very familiar because a lot of um, our grandfathers and great grandfathers fought in wars, right? And came home and they had served their country just like anybody else. Mm-hmm. And then they came home to Jim Crow laws, right? Um, mm-hmm. So this should feel or sound very familiar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Trace anything to add or? Um, I could not remember if it was Australia or if it was Russia where we found there were um, a military unit that was essentially gunned down after fighting. Do you remember that? Mm-mm. And um, their grave uh, was just, it was a shallow grave. There was no tribute until much later in history where they acknowledged that military mm-hmm. unit. I don't remember where that was. What did you say, Majula? It could have been Russia or where else? Or Australia. Or Australia. Mm-hmm. I don't recall it being Australia. No, maybe it was Russia. Yeah. Okay, so 
for many Aboriginal people, this um, renunciation. I'm sorry, I lost where I was. Renunciation of their mm-hmm. traditional lifestyle is promoted as the only opportunity to overcome poverty, gain work and access to education and social welfare benefits. Rural employment scheme using Italian prisoners of war begins. Um, so I feel like they um, plussed or one-upped what we have been talking about previously with the application and all the all the things we had talked previously because now they've taken a step further and said okay you can vote now move mm-hmm. freely mm-hmm. but you also cannot be with anyone who doesn't have a certificate so i guess that kind of answers your earlier question then so there is a certificate mm-hmm. well so and here here's one thing too because i and I should have brought up earlier before that the South Australian premier played for requests the Commonwealth government to pay maternity benefits and old age pension to Aboriginal people. So there was a request in, it looks like 1940 because there's a, there's a comment about how, um, the discrimination against Aboriginal people begins to raise community disquiet. So people aren't are starting to struggle with the way Aboriginal people are being treated. So I don't know that it's so much of a one up or if it's social pressure. Okay, so you mean social pressure? Like, explain that to me. So, in, oh, I say one up because they said they're not allowed to essentially be around people who don't have their certificate. So, to me, that takes it a step further than just because the original one was about the application and signing over your culture. Right. Um, but that didn't overtly, even though I'm sure it was assumed, that didn't overtly say that you couldn't still hang out with, kick it, socialize with, you know, friends and family who maybe didn't do the application. I see what you're saying. I mm-hmm. see what you're saying. I'm thinking in terms of like, this was the, here, we'll do this then. Meaning we'll uh, give welfare benefits, uh, I see. but only to p- certain people who qualify mm. and they can't be around the folks who don't. You know, the, of course, there's still a ton of restrictions around it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I think the benefits came whatever, if you call these benefits, they came as a result of social pressure. So I don't know that this would have even happened had just, you know, socially they were starting to grow this growing concern. Okay. Okay. That's fair. I would even argue that it was World War II that probably drove that conversation too. Mm. So much was publicized about our wars during that time frame and why we were going to war. And you have the Holocaust going down and everything else. I'm sure that that drove that conversation. Wait a minute. We are, we also doing some shitty shit over here. Mm. And you know what? That kind of leads me to the next point. So maybe we were on like a, ah, oh, well, no one mm-hmm. likes what they were doing. Uh, maybe this isn't a good idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, maybe we should mm-hmm. back off. Okay. So 1948 then. is where I'm headed to next. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights is adopted uh, by the United Nations with Australia's support. So that's interesting. Okay. So mm-hmm. Commonwealth Nationality and Citizenship Act creates status of Australian citizen. 
previously Australians had been simply British subjects. Um, so I think to Patrice's point, we're like, oh, maybe this looks, maybe this looks bad. Um, so one, mm-hmm. we're going to support it. United Nations came out, okay, we're going to support it. And so because we're going to support it, we're going to start making some tweaks. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the energy it's given to here, me. There, here. There's so many baby ass tweaks. Just It is very micro. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm oversimplifying with American, you know, with American view. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, okay, let me not simplify our history by saying what I'm about to say, because I know it's deeper than this, okay? But you could take like late 50s through the 60s and pretty much put us in a time frame of 10, definitely no more than 15 years where a lot of change happened at once, whereas theirs is over the span of decades. Um, So it does feel um, micro, more micro. Um, yeah. at least I would imagine if you're a person that's alive and experiencing it. Oh, for sure. Oh, 1000%. Yeah. Like, okay, so I can get some welfare, but I can't talk to my family. I can't be around them to get it, you know, and even then I got to go through this very in-depth process to get it, you know, and then I'll tell them what it takes to maintain it. Oh yeah. Oh Yeah. The U.S. said um, you can't have it, period. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's real. Yeah, the U.S. was a lot yeah. less. Either you got it or you don't got it. Mm-hmm. Um, on paper, I think in actuality there were things that we had we were supposed to have, oh, but in real yeah. life we didn't. Like you said, voting, but then you gonna stop redlining with housing, take the test, yeah. and then you know, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and all the things. So interesting. I would, mm-hmm. I would, I'm gonna, I will say. Um, I don't know. Based on what I've seen in the history that we've covered, Australia just seen there's a lot of parallels, but they seem to be going about like they got they coming from a different perspective with the way that they're implementing it. I'll say that. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I would agree. I would agree with that. But I think it's because the starting point is different. You know True. what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Starting yeah. point is different. That's part. That's. I think that's why. Um, um, 1949, the United Nations uh, Convention on Genocide is ratified by Australia. That's, I don't know. Okay. I feel like that's a big jump from, mm-hmm. four, you know what I mean? I feel like we're, that's a big jump. I'm not mad at the jump, but that, that's a big jump from 48 to 49. But um, anyway. See, but here's mm-hmm. the thing. Australia supported the United Nations. Yeah, forty. Yeah, whatever. I just the one the nineteen forty eight one the the Universal okay, Declaration okay. of Human Rights. Yeah, just one year prior, human rights is adopted by the United Nations with Australia's support. And I, then nineteen forty nine, United Nations Convention on Genocide is ratified by Australia. It does say it comes into force in nineteen fifty one. That's yeah, still only a couple yeah. of years later, nineteen forty nine, nineteen fifty one. It does, yeah. And so it looks like they're given the right to enroll and vote at federal elections, but oh, provided that they're entitled to enroll for state elections. Because I was going to say, but they're also not out of state. So it sounds like they were given full access to vote. Yeah. 
Yeah, also the immigration, this is still 1949, uh, Immigration Planning Council is established, adult migration education scheme is established. Um, and that's another thing as we go through here, they have a lot of like acts, boards, uh, committees and things like that mm-hmm. as they start progressing into a more positive direction. Uh, so we'll see a lot of names and things like that that they established um, to do different things. But I don't know, maybe you, maybe World War II, to your point, was a turnaround moment because um, everyone saw how the world responded to Germany. Yeah. And I think also you have Jewish immigrants who are also going to Australia and they, they are got to be like, rights. hold on. Yeah, they yeah. are. Good, good. Yes. Good point. Yes. Jewish. I, I forget what year that was, but Jewish refugees come. And mm-hmm. um, as long as they had someone there that already vouched right. for them, it wasn't right. going to cost you know Australia any more money. They could come and have access to everything that Aboriginal people did not have access to. Right. But I also wonder, and I don't know, you know, I don't know because I wasn't there. But I also wonder how many Jewish people got there and was like, "Ooh, wait a minute now, that's not mm-hmm. cool." And I wonder if any internal pressure from Jewish refugees, in addition to the the world stage pressure, made Australia be like, "Ah, maybe, uh, you know, because yeah. we don't need a war over here." You know what I mean? We don't need, yeah. you know, World War. 2.5 coming this way. And I I was even going to take it the reverse where now seeing people who have gone through this, who are seeking refugee, right? Who are refugees come to your country, seeing where they just came from. They've lost family. They've lost people. They've lost possessions, businesses. And there's also a wake up call of the people who live in Australia as well, who partake in this system say, Hmm. That's actually pretty shitty. Like we're doing the same thing to these people that was just done to my cousin, you know, or because you know, nine times out of ten, if I'm vouching for somebody, it's probably a relative, you know what I'm saying, or someone, a friend or a close someone where I'm saying that they're not gonna cost the state. I got them. That's basically like what we would call a sponsorship here in the United States, mm-hmm. right? Sponsor some someone's visa. That's what I'm hearing when I hear that. So that's a close relationship and you see what they're coming from. I do think that also probably sparked some empathy too. Mm, I would say. I would say. I would hope. Yeah. I would hope. Yeah. I would. Um, 1951. Um, now see, and here's, okay. I'm glad I'm reading these out loud. Cause when I was, when I was prepping, um, I was like, am I tripping? I'm not because this, what I'm about to say feels like a step back for me to me mm-hmm. unless I'm misunderstanding um, so I won't read all of it but I'll, I'll get to the to the meat of it um, there's a conference and it officially adopts a policy of assimilation for Aboriginal people assimilation means in practical terms that it is expected that all persons of Aboriginal birth or mixed blood in Australia will live like white Australians do United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees is established Assisted passage agreements with Netherlands and Italy are concluded. So this, it kind of, okay, it feels like a step back, but in a more polished way. It's because what I'm understanding is we've given access to things now. You can do all of, a lot, I don't know if all, but you can do a lot of the things that you really should have been able to do from the beginning, if you ask me, right? Mm -hmm. So this make sure that like it's almost like okay we've given you the stuff so now you're gonna act like we act right 
So that's what I it was feels thinking like. that's where you were taking with the culture piece. And yeah. I, so the way it's written here definitely gave mm. me that too. Okay. But on the flip side of that, I was curious if they just meant you, we're not going to stop you because you're Aboriginal. Oh. You get the same rights as said? white people do. of assimilation. That it is expected that all persons of Aboriginal birth or mixed blood in Australia will live like white Australians do. So now I don't know um, if there's still like a, but don't be you. You know what I mean? Or if there is a, this just I means feel like it's like a live come anywhere. On, you can come on and yeah, you can. You can live anywhere. You can go anywhere. You can vote, but don't do too much of that Aboriginal stuff. That's what so, I took it to me. So the cultural piece, there is, but mm -hmm. you, you know how it is. I, that is a piece that we will fight to the end of time. That okay, yeah. That's, that's, that's what we true. still fight to this day. I guess, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you know what I'm true. saying? There, there's that's never true. an acknowledgement of that. I think the Crown Act is probably the closest thing we have to acknowledgement mm. of our culture when it comes to an mm. act. Everything else is relative to our skin color. Mm. You can't say black people can't work here. You can't say black people can't live here. Mm. You can't. It's never about black people can't, you know, play their music or have hip hop or have R and B or be a part of these art communities or design clothes this way or talk this way or you know what I'm saying. Black people can express A, B, E, and you can't discriminate against them for a job. You know, that that's never what's acknowledged. It's always going to be the skincare piece. Mm. Okay. That's fair. I hadn't really considered that. Um, that's a good point. It's a very mm. good point. Yeah. Culture is a different category than just skin tone. Yeah. I don't think they... I don't, these systems of oppression, if they do see it, which I think now they may more than ever, but that doesn't mean they truly see it. Um, mm. But if they do see it, I don't know that it's welcomed. That's the very thing we was trying to keep y'all away from us with. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. it's a disruption to what we are familiar with, what we deem as all the other things that are superior you know, if that is the approach, so no one's, I, I, maybe my niece and nephew's kids will live for a day when they say, okay, you can talk how you want in an interview. You know what I'm saying? You, there's mm. no code switching. You can use AABE freely and discriminate against so is, you know, mm. uh, maybe they will live for those days, but I don't see that happening in my lifetime. Mm. Yeah, good point. Good point. Um, okay, 1953. Federal government enacts wards, employment ordinance in the Northern Territory, which makes Aboriginal people wards of the state with minor status and discriminates against them in employment and pay. Employment practices go against international labor organizations. Okay, that's good. Concern is expressed internationally about Australia's treatment of non-whites. 
Okay, so I feel like, okay, so I feel like we were on the right track when we said, like, mm, I feel like they knew that the, the eyes were going to be on them in a minute. Mm-hmm. You know, we got the Jewish refugees there, right? So they're, they're a new set of eyes. We got mm-hmm. things happening on the world stage. Um, and I feel like this confirms that. Concern is expressed internationally about Australia's treatment of mm-hmm. non-whites, in particular Aboriginal people. This is 1953, okay. British migrants become entitled to all Australian welfare benefits on arrival. Non-British migrants have a limited range of benefit entitlements. Um, Atomic tests are carried out at Emu and Margelina South. I may have mispronounced that. I apologize. South Australia. Many Aboriginal people die from radiation poisoning. Hundreds of families are forced to leave their homelands because of severe contamination. Tests continue until 1957. And this also was very uh, familiar to me or or drew parallel because it made me think of Tuskegee. Mm -hmm. I would even also say um, Descendants in Africatown because all of them were dying. Many of them were contracting cancer. Mm -hmm. From all of the um, oil and um, uh, what's the word? Um, industrial plants that were yeah, surrounding their homes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's very true. Uh, we did. Okay. So for context, um, Descendants is a Netflix documentary. I don't know if it's still up. It should be. Anyway, we did an episode on it. Season, I want to say season three. Right? Mm. I think I'm so. proud I'm of you, girl. Confident. You call that season out there like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So proud of that memory. I'm pretty confident yeah. that it's season three. I'm almost, <laughs> I'm like 90% certain it's season three. Um, but anyway, that was a good episode. And so we did an episode on the documentary. And then I found some additional information to add on top of the documentary after it was aired. So anyway, check that out um, if you have not already. And fun oh. fact, they are revisiting that conversation. Um, there's a new, I don't know if it's a documentary or an interview with all the descendants of um the Clotilda? Clotilda is the name of the ship. Clotilda is the name of the ship. Yeah, Clotilda, but there was um what was his name? Oh, the name um, the man, the family yes, the white man? Yeah. He no, uh, the um he was he was one of the last slaves brought over. And there was like three oh, of them. Oh yeah, yeah. Um yeah. your girl uh, Zora Neale I was going to say Nina yes. and I was like that's not right No, Zora, Zora. <laughs> yes yes, yes. Zora, Zora Neale Her- Hurston <laughs> she wrote a book on Clotilda but also it's um, I can't think of the man's name he was supposed to be known as the last um, I know this going to bother us because oh, now I think it's pretty confident it was just a week ago Anyway, they did a story about him. She had video footage of him and, you know, um, interviewed him for a book that really never got published. And then she passed away and then they found the book. Anyway, we go over that all in The Descendants. But anyway, after after um, that aired, I found evidence that there he was not the last survivor. There was a, yeah. another survivor um, who survived well, well into she was just an infant. Um, when she was on the boat and um, I'll, I'll go over her story and her details and things like that. Okay. So they're going to expand upon. So what are they doing? Another documentary or is it an interview with his family or 
Yes. It had I a nickname for him too, and it just escapes me right now. I know there's Barracoon, but that wasn't his name. Oh, okay. That was his nickname. Yeah, that was his nickname, right? Yeah, oh, but there was a different name. Okay, I'm sorry, y'all. Um, so okay, let's get back on track. Go um, back and listen to that. How about that? You want to know? You want to know his name? Go back and listen to the episode. Okay, <laughs> Descendants. Uh, okay, plus I'm seeing it's pictures about, of him. I'm still about the slave him. ship Clotilda, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, the last slave ship to come over. No, that's not close. Yeah, that's close. But is that his real name? Barcoon destroyed the last black cargo. Yeah, no. Dang it. Okay. It's kind of pop- okay. We have to move okay. on, even though this is like making me itch. I <laughs> but what I'm gonna put in the damn description randomly. And the name was Cujo. There we go. Cujo Lewis. There oh, yeah. There you go. Cujo Lewis. Yeah. yeah. I was close. Yeah, there you go. What did yeah. that say? I don't know what that said. But anyway, I was close. Okay. Sorry, y'all. We can get back on track now. My bad. Um, okay, 1956 is where I'm headed to next. Okay, well, I feel like this was big. Huh? Do you want to? I, this is my last one, and then okay. we'll. Yep, okay. it's my last one, and then we'll wrap up. And this is definitely going to be a part two. Yep. Uh, okay, 1956 permanent residence for non-Europeans. So permanent residence status is granted to non-Europeans who had fled to Australia during the Second World War excuse me, or have been long-term residents uh, at least 15 years, non-European spouses of Australian citizens are permitted to apply. And uh, it also goes on to speak about Hungarian refugees um, arrive in Sydney um, following Russian invasion of Hungary. And Armenian church is uh, consecrated in Sydney as well. So anyway, that was 1956. So I feel like that's permanent Mm -hmm. resident. That's like movement. for naturalization now. Mm-hmm. That's movement. Um, so there's more. There's a lot more. Um, but like we said, the history in Australia is vast. Um, and so, you know, we're just not able to fit it all in one episode. So come back for a part two. And we'll yep. pick up where we left off. <laughs> I was just going to ask, like, Patrice, you got anything? Bye. This will be two hours long if I let it be. So, yeah. <laughs> so, y'all hear us in a second.